Hello, world singers. My name is Tyler. And my name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. We are here with our Oathbringer fangasm. The breakdown to break all things down. It's here, you guys. It's finally here. We held off for like a month before making this episode. We have tried to give everyone time to read, give ourselves time to read, to recover from the emotional and the psychological, the intellectual, the magical, everything was going on and it took a lot out of us. And I know everyone has been very patiently waiting for this episode and we are very excited to at last bring it to you. And for this episode, what we are going to be doing is really just kind of off the cuff having a Cosmere conversation like we do in our personal time, basically (laughs) all the time. Pretty much. But instead of really diving into specific details of Oathbringer, because there are a bunch, we are going to just like you do after you watch a movie with friends or after you uh, read an awesome book with friends. Yeah, it's just going to be like first first reactions. Exactly. Top five favorite moments is kind of the only structure that we are giving each other. And after that, it's just spitballing. We're just, we're just going on the fly here and we like it. Oh yeah, all excitement all the time. For those of the super Cosmere nerds out there who are like, I want research and I want in-depth details. Yeah, like can we talk about theories? Can we like really look at these things? The answer, of course, yes. We're going to do that too. I already have spreadsheets, like don't worry, the research is coming. And it's going to be great, Uh, but we are going to put all of the kind of like more in-depth stuff in future episodes. This one... We are just having a conversation about what I already think is my favorite book. (laughs) I mean, it's not favorite Cosmere book, not favorite Sanderson book. I'm just saying my favorite book. It cooked off a bunch of things right off. That's a very big statement. It is beyond good. I don't know if I've cried or teared up, we'll say, if we're, we're being completely... <laughs> I did fucking weep once, uh, excuse my language, but... I cried so hard at the end. Like, really, really hard. There were a bunch of moments when I was emotional and teared up, even on my reread. We'll talk about those in, in a moment. But there were also a few times when I just wept. And I, I don't know if I've openly wept at a book or just the way that it made me feel. I mean, this book was heavy. Yeah, it's incredibly emotional. It was like a little bit difficult, I felt like, to read at some point. Yes, absolutely. I really felt maybe around, just for those of you reading on a Kindle or, you know, open your book and do a guesstimate, but like maybe around like 60% uh, after part three into part like four it it was just like oh my gosh like there's just so much weight yeah really heavy so and i feel like up until this point we have seen a lot of broken characters a lot of characters dealing with very heavy emotional trauma um 
But I feel like in this book, it like went even deeper. <laughs> it cut deeper. It hit deeper. Brandon, I really feel, is an incredibly prolific writer. We all know oh that. Gosh, yeah. But he is growing and like he he's much older than I am. Not much older. Sorry. He's... <laughs> Not much older. I didn't mean to up-age you, Brandon. Uh, but he, he, he is a mature individual. He's obviously a professional. Yeah, and in terms of, like, life experience, etc. Of course. But it, it feels like as a writer, his work is maturing and it's developing. And kind of, I, I feel like you can see this in the Cosmere books. I think we've talked about before the Wax and Wayne series, Mistborn Era 2, a lot of just like great character moments. And it's a more condensed story. It's a kind of simpler story than the Stormlight Archive. But you can just really see the progression. And here it just hits me over and over and over again. So Brooke, we're going to do our top five moments. Yeah, and hold on, sorry, just okay, one more, okay. like, excitement thing. Go for it. I feel like in this book, the Cosmere just, like, cracked open like an egg. And I think that was, like, the most exciting thing because I feel like for so long, all of us, you know, on the 17th chart and in the Copper Mind and here on this podcast have just been, like, mining these books in search of information and trying to put everything together. And then in Oathbringer, like, Brandon just gratified all of our dreams. <laughs> it was just like, oh, my God, I could not have asked for more. And so let's talk about our top five favorite moments in the book. We're just going to go kind of back and forth. Some we might talk about longer. Some we might just be like, this was good. Um, and some we might devote entire episodes to <laughs> in the future. Uh, so, Brooke, do you want to start us off? What was, and not in any particular order, we're not ranking our top, yeah. we're just saying top five in general. Um, what is one of your top five favorite moments from Oathbringer? Um, well, one of my favorite things about Oathbringer is all the time we got to spend with Hoyd. So much Oh my Hoyd. gosh. Like a whole chapter with just Hoyd, like did, talking. Didn't you tell me as you were reading on the Kindle, you just like basically were highlighting the entire- I highlighted the whole chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. Normally it's like a sentence or two, witty, cool thing. And no, here- it was literally like I highlighted like a- paragraph and then skipped maybe like two lines and then highlighted another paragraph to the end of the page and then flipped the page highlighted a paragraph because hoyd appears <laughs> multiple times in oathbringer most importantly most significantly during the period where our kind of secondary team is in colinar uh, where they are attempting to infiltrate uh, the palace, rescue the queen, rescue Elikar's uh, young son, and our characters of Kaladin and Shallan are kind of experiencing in each their own way, uh, kind of building their own team to help with this infiltration. And Hoyt appears to Shallan specifically a couple of times in a way that just, like, it blew me away. It, it really was. Yeah, I feel like... It is one of the few times that we've seen Hoyd be Hoyd. Like, or to just to because his name was dropped in this book. Yeah, well, to may, well, to maybe be Sephandrius. 
which is... But we know that that is not actually his original name. It's just the oldest name that we know of. Exactly. So basically, there's, there's some... Oh, no, no, I understand. I, I'm saying that there's some characters that Hoyd plays, Wit being the one he's known by on Rashar. But there's also a real individual. Right. And we know that Hoyd is not the name. He said he took that yeah. name from someone he should have loved. Mm-hmm. Um, Sephandrius is the name that his oldest friends or his the people who know him the longest back to Adenalsium days call him Sephandrius. And he said that he has a name that's older, older than, than that. that. Yeah. But we, we do see a side of Hoyd that is much less of a character yes and much more so much more true yeah and i just think for so long we have been so low on information about who hoyt actually is and where he comes from and what his purpose is and then there was this whole chapter where he was literally just like dropping answers one after another and what i found interesting and what i thought brooke you might find interesting what profession or um kind of archetype did hoyd cast himself as uh he calls himself an artist yes and i thought that was so interesting in his conversation with shallan maybe hinting because we do know that he doesn't he has some type of yolin inspired light weaving Mm -hmm. and obviously shallan is an artist as a light weaver and his power is different but it's also like his oldest power, or seems to be one of his oldest powers. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the one we see him using the most. And so it kind of would make sense that, one, he came to Shallan because he has some type of... Uh, connection. Connection to yeah. her as an artist, possibly. And their powers are at least somewhat similar. Mm-hmm. Maybe even a crazy theory that the light weaving developed from the yolin power i would say that's very possible or at least like comes from the same source so we think we're probably going to do a whole episode just on hoid yeah in this book yeah (laughs) so a future episode or at least a large chunk of a future episode will be all about hoid and everything that he says (laughs) in those chapters in those moments but i think one of the most important things just to mention before we leave hoid is at the end of the book what happens he Disguises himself as a beggar, again, as we see him do often, and gets into the palace in Kolinar and goes up to this particular wall where Moash has been tasked with uh, destroying it, dismantling this wall for some reason. He doesn't know why. He's the only one over there, but it seems to be this important project to the fused, and Hoyd goes over there. And he, like, coaxes a cryptic spren out of the wall and, like, takes it away with him like he's going to become a light weaver. And doesn't he say the first ideal? He does. He, yeah. says, he says something along the lines of, oh, yeah, he life says, before like, death, life before my friend. Death. Yes! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so we know that Hoyd is... Maybe not collecting powers is the right word, but certainly kind of collecting investiture. We know he has breath. We know he has the Yolen light weaving. And now 
It seems he, he might has be bonding. The beat of he has the beat of Laracium from a Scadrill, and it seems like now he might be bonding a cryptic spren. And I do think it's interesting that he picked a cryptic. I know people have been talking about this um, on online and on Reddit also, but I just felt like he already has the Yolin version of light weaving. Like, why would he want? Oh, I think it's specifically. I think it's specifically because he kind of is a light weaver i don't think another spren would necessarily bond with yeah him. because that's already his like personality yes yeah and maybe something more Makes about sense. his true personality that we were talking about earlier right. it's the how he like identifies himself as an artist exactly so that's my theory right now obviously that's just l- last minute section in the book so yeah we'll find out <gasps> more <laughs> okay what was one of your uh favorite moments in the book okay my first favorite moment actually came quite early in the book and and this is one of the things that is possible to do in a book that's in the middle of a series because I already have a connection to these characters I don't need to necessarily have a long time building up like an emotional bond to them so Brandon I felt was just like dropping moment after moment in the first couple of chapters specifically chapters like Five through seven were about Kaladin and his return to his home city uh, to visit his family. The way that all of those moments build up for Kaladin is fantastic. Uh, He fails to outrun the Everstorm, so he has this vision of coming across his home that had been destroyed partially by the storm, but more importantly by the harshmen that had been turned into void bringers so he is kind of trudging through the lands uh, of sadius's lands to get to his home and he arrives there and there are just so many moments that kaladin has but i'm gonna i'm gonna get specific to the one when i i was literally emotionally uplifted and just I don't think I actually physically let out like a whoop, yeah. uh, but I, I certainly gave like a little fist pump in the air uh, of just like, yeah, you did it, man. Uh. And that is when Kaladin makes the decision as he's about to leave to become a symbol of hope for mm. his friends or his previous friends, people that lived in his village Um they're all gathered around him. He's standing in Rashon's mansion. They know he's a shard bearer, but they don't know he's a radiant at this moment. And he inhales stormlight and he rises up a couple of feet off the ground and he's glowing and the stormlight's uh, coming off of him. And he looks at his his family, which is his mother and father, um, obviously, but also his new Their baby new brother. Baby. Which that made me tear up that was that was emotional when he held his brother who his name is um orobin but it means like one who's born unto peace yeah or in a time child of of peace child of peace exactly um and and he starts weeping holding his little baby brother and then he he takes this moment when he he's hovering in the air and he says that dalinar has reformed the knight's radiant and we will not fail you again and his mom has a, uh, an offspring that bursts around her, and then he flies away. Yeah. It's just so good. There's 
there's gonna be a bunch of moments that I'm, I'm gonna get emotional just reciting uh especially some of the later ones but yeah no, that's that's, a, that's an uplifting really... one and that is such a beautiful moment and i think that um idea and that portrayal of kaladin then returning to this place as a completely different person right like i think he's gotten used to seeing himself in a certain way and then us as readers as well seeing him in this specific context as kaladin and then returning to that place where he was a different person before all of these experiences. And I think a lot of us have had similar experiences with like, you know, going away to college and then you come back home and you're like, oh wait, this house doesn't quite fit the way it used to. And it's a strange experience. Yeah. And he actually talks about that in the chapters. He says, first he says, in my time away from Hearthstone, I had become three different people and they were treating me like the boy that I was. And I've lived like three different lifetimes since then. Yeah. So he was the boy in Hearthstone and that's what he's being treated as when he returns originally. But they know nothing about his time as a slave when he became another man. And they know nothing about the time that he had as a bridge man and he became another man. But then he changes his mind or he, he corrects himself and he says, no, it's not three lifetimes that I lived. It's four because this new path that I'm on as a night radiant is another life. Mm-hmm. And he, him kind of accepting that in himself and then choosing to project it and show the people who he had become, the radiant that he had become, was definitely just just enough to like in the beginning of the book just make me so excited and i was just like i'm like getting emotional right now just thinking about it i mean stay with us people stay with us (laughs) Um, well moving on to something not any less emotional um just gonna cry the entire pretty much um another one of my favorite things about the book was uh elokar and his character development and then his death Oh my god. That, uh, I cried. I definitely cried. I just thought his character development was handled very nicely in this book to see him, like, really just strive from his heart to be the person that he wanted to be, right? He, like, recognized his flaws and, like, honestly, with all of his heart, was trying to forge a better path for for himself to live up to the expectations of the people that he loves, who love him. Um, And then, God, I just, his death was such a big blow. Yeah, and it, obviously, the most impactful part of his death, and we see it from Kaladin's perspective, so I I was real into that perspective as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, And and Brandon writes, and that one ends, does it end section two or section three or part two? Uh, I think part two. Um, When that ended, I literally had to put the book down. Yeah, so did I. I I was like, that could have been a whole book right there and it would have just been the most depressing thing ever to not have any type of joy. But like, that was a climax. It it was a peak and it was emotional. Very well done. And, you know, hats off to Brandon but like the most devastating thing about Elicar's death is that he was 
He was like so close to redemption. He, and he I was think, about uh, to say the words. He was yeah. literally saying them. And it was such like throughout, you know, throughout the beginning of the book, I just kept like reading his parts and being like, man, you know, Elkar, you're like really growing on me. You're not, you know, you're yeah. like, you're not the worst. He has that moment and when then, he's talking to Kaladin when he basically says, and, and it's, you could read it a bunch of different ways, but in my, it was, it was just a very like mature thing of a, a mortal man who has always been surrounded by greatness in his father, in his uncle, in Adolin, um, in all these people around him who are greater. And then the Knights Radiant come, so he's... He, right, even uh, more. But he, he basically just admits to Kaladin, he's like, I'm not here to save the day. Like, I'm going to fuck things up. You are here to save the day. I'm I'm here to bring you to save the day. Like... He, he kind of understood something deep and was maturing as a person. And then you realize and recognize that a lot of his development in the first two books, and it's definitely hinted at, I think that yeah. it was well known that he had seen cryptics yes. uh, before. And then he, he's saying the words and Moash comes in and just ends oh, every God. hope. And, and it breaks Kaladin psychologically yeah it broke me uh, and i just had to take some time it was an incredibly emotional scene yeah and i loved like you said i loved kaladin's perspective in that section also in our world today that seems so divided and warlike i just really identified with kaladin just sitting there looking at all of these people just thinking stop stop just stop fighting that's how I feel all the time, just, like, in life. Just, like, please stop. I just want peace. Everyone love each other. So before we start crying over yeah. Elikar, let's go to <laughs> another top five moment. This one, um, mine. And it was Yasna's portrayal in the final fight. Really just Yasna. Yasna <laughs> is a fucking badass. She's the most badass. And actually someone called this out. Oh, she's so damn cool. On the Reddit. I don't have their their username. It was a, a comment on the Reddit who basically said it makes sense why Yasna had to, in quotes, die uh, in the second book because she is too overpowered compared to all the knights, other knights radiant. Everybody else is She learned- is overpowering. No, 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 she's overpowered, as in, like, she's OP. Her powers are too great compared to the other Knights Radiant. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, like, if there would be so many moments in Words of Radiance, well, if Yasna was here, we would just do this all incredibly easily. (laughs) She literally was, like, nonchalantly destroying... She's such a master. The fused. She at least is a master of soul casting. One yeah. of her two powers. I think she's still kind of learning transformation. Uh, no, that no was Sorry, sorry. Transportation? Transportation, thank you. But she is absolutely a badass and is just like, she is talking to her mother and kills two fused like it's nothing. It, it's one of just the moments of just like, oh, Yasna's better than all of them. Yeah, she just, like, throws down and, like, easy, you know? She's, like, not even trying. Exactly. It's happening in the background to her conversation (laughs) with her mother where she is turning. I think she she brings up, like, the oil or something. She, like, she lights one of the fused on fires and then soul casts another one into stone and then, you know, 
saves the city by creating an entire wall. Like, Yasna is just so overpowered. This person on the Reddit pointed out, like, she couldn't be in Words of Radiance. It, it would have been too easy for yeah. everyone. Now we're almost at a point. I still think she's overpowered and now is queen of culinary. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but we're getting to a point where Yasna's as much in the dark as many of our other yes and And i I think think that's a that's an interesting place to be in what is your next favorite moment um i loved dalinar writing his book at the end his version of the way of kings basically just when i lost it and just cried for like 20 minutes i just like sobbed in my bed <laughs> absolutely i mean dalinar is obviously the main character of oathbringer we really understand his story a lot better now and his yeah. role as bondsmith uh it almost i mean again it's impossible to know exactly how much of these ideas Brandon has planned out ahead of time, but it it just feels like so perfect that Dalinar, who in the first book, Way of Kings, was literally portrayed as a man who might be going insane um, with these visions from uh, the the Way of Kings and, and you know grief and all this other stuff. And then he, he's writing this book documenting his life and, and his vision. And it's just powerful. I mean, that's... Yeah. Yeah, it's just really powerful. Obviously, we're not going to read the can't, entire can't thing. Can't do it justice. Yeah, exactly. You guys know what we're talking about. <laughs> okay, what about you? What's your next one? Okay, another kind of happier moment uh is you could say any moment with bridge four in this book was amazing but my favorite was rock uh basically any moment with rock from beginning to end was fantastic i'll try to be specific and not just say every moment with rock but when all of the squires or potential squires in training all the bridge four members are training with Kaladin, and you have Rock, who's obviously uh, nonviolent and is not going to uh, be participating in that process. But he's making the food and he's doing his Rock things, you know, picking picking people up when they're down. And then behind them, either they're I think they're out on the Shattered Plains, and I think it's like on another um, platform on the Shattered Plains, watching all of the potential squires is a large number. I don't know how many, but it seemed kind of like a crowd of windspring uh, in their fully formed versions. That's what I thought was most interesting. Excuse me, not windspring, honor spring. Sorry, easy to get confused because windspring are of honor, but the honor spring are watching for potential windrunners that they can bond to. And... Rock comes out with offerings. He comes out to these beans that he feels are divine. And obviously, from Syl's perspective, they kind of feel like they're divine too. Um, But they're these fully formed, glowing 
Honor Spren, the first time outside of Sill that I think we've ever seen a Spren take its natural form in the physical realm. Not in the cognitive, obviously in the cognitive realm. You mean other than Sill, right? I, I, yes, okay, other okay. than Sill. Okay. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, Sill takes the form. <laughs> I was like, what um, are you talking about? But the, yeah, these honor sprint are all standing behind watching and Rock comes out with an offering. And I think Sill says something along the lines of like, you're so devout, you're so religious, it's almost like a bad thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're going maybe a little too far, Rock. But the leader or who seemed to be the leader of that crowd of honor spren um flies off after rock's offering and with his family uh coming to join him on the shattered plains my heart breaks there um when we leave rock the the last image of rock is a powerful one uh because he was he takes the shard bow. The shard bow. And wrecks a couple people with it. And saves Kaladin. Yes. And then the last, and that's in the, the final battle, obviously. But the last thing we see is Kaladin um, kind of comforting him or, or putting his hand on the shoulder. Looking, um, Rock is kind of like just bowed over the bow sitting on the shattered plains, kind of ashamed of what he did or the the promise that he broke, maybe to himself, maybe to well, his family. Yeah, but he's I mean, dealing with heavy emotion for uh, using violence, and that's that's where we leave him. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's quite clear that that's exactly what he's feeling, but he sure. definitely has a lot processing because we hear in that scene when his family comes um, that he may be the oldest son of his family now is what it sounds like. So he kind of has a different role to fill that he's grappling with. And something terrible is going on in the Horn Eater Peaks. Yes. I think it is specifically tied to the shard pool that we believe is there or we're, well, yeah, we the, know it's there. It's the perpendicularity. So the I think we get confirmation that the fused have taken over it and they're blocking all... Uh, entrances and exits there so that is important to keep in mind as well yeah because his home is in danger there's also a tiny question about how rock was able to pull a shard bow yes and because the shard bows are designed for shard uh, plate wearers which gives you a lot of extra strength. Like, so. Rock is a large person, you know, maybe sure. <laughs> modeled after, at least in my head a little bit, after The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> uh, but that's just, like, kind of my placeholder uh, image of him. Like, he, he's a big dude. He He's always... But he's not and shouldn't be strong enough to pull a, a, right. a shard bow. And even if he was a squire of Kaladin's, which makes sense, he's bridge four, they say specifically that Stormlight does not give you increased strength. Um, Endurance, yes, like ability to not tire and to heal, yes, but you don't become infinitely stronger. You don't gain skills that you didn't have before. Yeah, it's not like being a pewter arm on Scadriel. Thank you so much for that connection. And so what did Rock do to pull that shard bow? There's speculation at the moment that 
he could become the first stone ward. Well, he wouldn't be the first because we have confirmation that, well, I guess he could be. We know that all 10 orders exist. They have all been refounded. So that could be referencing Rock. But he also, he could just be another stone ward because one of their powers is of tension. Um, and, And the way it's described is the tension that is created when a rope is pulled tight. Uh, that's the kind Which of the is force. Basically, a bow and arrow. <laughs> exactly. So the idea is that the reason that Rock was able to pull the bow is not because he was super strong, but because his ability as a possible stone warrior allowed him to manipulate the force of the shard bow. Could be. Could and so be, that's that's be. a speculation, but keep that in mind. Another thing that I loved about this book, or all of the epigraphs oh my gosh there were so many good ones i also highlighted almost all of those and then i was like brooke you need to stop like you can just find all of the epigraphs later you don't need to highlight them all. thank you to those people on the 17th show oh on the internet who combined yeah. everything i went to go do it myself but i was like way too late you guys are awesome so we know that the epigraphs came from a couple of different places Brooke has... We've got a couple of new letters. Yes. And Brooke has mandated that we do an episode or a yeah. large chunk of an We're gonna episode. We're going to do a whole episode on the epigraphs. On the different epigraphs. And it's going to be great. But we see a couple of books present. One is Oathbringer. Uh, the book we believe... Obviously, the in-world version of Oathbringer <laughs> that we believe is written by... It is written by Dalinar. Yes, Dalinar. And we have... The other in-world book, oh, the Mystica? The, yeah, yeah. Something like that, which is about all of the unmade. Yes. So interesting there, uh, giving us a bunch. And we don't. We obviously don't know if it's 100% correct. Yes, because it is in-world. Anything in-world, you always have to take with a grain of salt because they don't know everything. Yes. But then we have the letters, three letters. different ah. letters. All addressed to Sophandrius uh, or Hoy, and there's heavy speculation on who those letters come from. We're going to explore all of this, but I think at least one, I'm pretty sure, of, comes from Harmony, our good friend Zay's on Scadrial. Yeah, there's some good evidence that it's Harmony. So we'll dive into all of the epigraphs uh, in a later episode, but yes. Yeah! There was so much Cosmere knowledge dumped out in those epigraphs that it is, it's just hard to keep it all. Exactly. It's it's (laughs) so much. It's just hard to keep it all in your head. That's what spreadsheets are for. And this podcast. (laughs) Okay. My next favorite moment. And this is where uh, we start to get sad again because Dalinar at the end of the book, or, or near the end of the book, in the final fight over Thalen City, grabs a copy of The Way of Kings, a book that Dalinar cannot read because he was never taught how to read. But it, like, means so much to him, and it's, like, this talisman. Yes, and it <sighs> was the, the description of Yasna reading... The Way of Kings to Dalinar for the very first time in their grief about losing Dalinar's brother and 
Yasna's father, uh, Gavilar, and they, they read this book together, and then Dalinar takes this book, and, and it's like he, he put his entire life, and he built his entire life around these concepts and these ideals, and he is facing off against odium, all hatred, all passion, all the things that Dalinar himself has struggled with. Yes, struggled with and, and and dealt with his entire life. And the quote uh, that ends one of the chapters uh, is Dalinar holding this book. And then we get this quote. Quote, unaided and defenseless, Dalinar Colin stepped into the gap in the broken wall and there faced the nightmare alone, end quote. We have so many depictions of this moment. Um, Navani runs out onto the wall and sees Dalinar walking alone towards Odium, towards the enemy. It is the culmination of, of the book in many ways. Or, or at least, you know, setting up the, the huge battle that's going to burst out. And it's just such a beautiful, long history that we have seen of Dalinar from the very first book to this moment when he, just like Kaladin did it earlier, like we talked about earlier, accepting who he is, the monster that he is, his own... Uh, horrific past and the future that he wants and the person that he wants to be yeah and accepting all of that together like accepting you know his past chapters because he has to accept them in order to be able to move on and accept that he is not that person any longer he can choose to be a new different better version of himself I guess kind of the same as Elkar too there's some exactly uh symmetry there oh so beautiful yeah i think the moments that we've talked about so far kaladin elikar dalinar <laughs> like they're all having and uh shallan as well like they're all having this story that is repeating in their different ways the different perspectives of accepting who you are accepting your past accepting your your downfalls your errors your struggles your imperfections and moving forward with the person that you want to be or you envision um, who you can be. And I just, I, I thought that that moment, those words were just so powerful because it's when everything kind of connected uh, for me in Dalinar's story. Yeah, and I think for a lot of the books, we see Dalinar as um relatively weak like he is a strong man but you know in way of kings he has the visions that he's very uncertain about and feels ambivalent about and he has a lot of conflict um same in words of radiance and so i think this final moment of seeing him yes embrace his weakness but then also be so strong Mm -hmm. and stand completely alone completely you know sure of himself and grounded in what he believes to be true what he wants to do is so powerful brooke what is your final top five moment well in sort of that similar time period in the book adolin is 
fighting the Thunderclast. And man, I really loved that part of the battle. Just just the the concept that Adolin is the only one of our main crew who is not a Radiant. He doesn't have his shard plate at this point. He's like basically completely unprotected. He is not equipped to be fighting this thing. Except he has the weapon that was designed to fight Thunderclass, which we now know his sword, his shard blade, we know her name, which is Maya. She has a longer spren name, uh, just like Syl does, but she goes by Maya. And they have a coming together moment, an understanding in the yeah, cognitive realm. She like starts to kind of wake up, which is cool. And I, I definitely think something interesting is going to go on with the sword. Yeah, me Waking too. up. Um, I don't know if he'll become a radiant because of that, uh, but I, I definitely think there's important things going on with Maya and Adolin's relationship, but the fight itself up against the Thunderclass is amazing. Yeah, it's so powerful. I don't know. I just really have a, a weak spot for like the the ones who don't have the mystical powers and yet are equally as brave and put themselves on the line. Um, so that was Adolin. He just like crashes in doesn't even think twice and is you know completely unprotected and is awesome and there's heavy speculation about if adolin will become a radiant if he will not i at this moment feel like you do brooke that one of the strongest things about adolin's character is that he is the unpowered one. He is the straight man uh, to all of these superpowered things going on around him. Even his brother Renarin in that fight. So like Adolin fights the Thunderclass. He does well, but he also like gets knocked around a little bit to the point that like his body is broken. Oh man. Yeah. I texted Tyler and I was like, if Adolin dies, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. We riot. Uh, <laughs> Just me and Brooke. It's going to be a small riot. But like, it will... <laughs> that would not be fair. Brandon Sanders and I am coming for you. Watch out, Utah. We're going to take you all down. Yeah. Uh, no, just kidding. We love you. But <laughs> we see Renarin come out from his own huge moment as well. Uh, but he heals Adolin and then quite literally gets... He literally gets stomped. Like, mushed. Yeah, the Thunderclass just, yeah, flattens him into a pancake. And then he's like, boing. Yeah, and his his power of healing as a truth watcher is so great that he heals all of his wounds instantaneously, or near instantaneously. Basically, the way I almost saw that power was even beyond something like Wayne in Mistborn Air 2. Oh, yeah. And approaching... Definitely the compounded powers of Miles' 100 lives yeah. that we talked about in our Skadriel episode. It's incredibly powerful. Like, I mean, Renarin was smushed by, you know, a mountain, a boulder, whatever, and completely instantaneously healed himself. That seems very powerful, like very, very strong. Yeah, absolutely. But I think you're totally right. I would prefer to see Adolin stay as the straight man. And I think his storyline and his character got so much more interesting this book, having a lot more like serious 
uh, conflict for the character in terms of like wrestling with, again, his own like past actions and wrestling with that feeling of being the only one not powered. And he's used to being the person who is, you know, kind of better than everyone in terms of social status and looks and dueling power. Um, And now he finds himself in a place where he's like, oh, gosh, I am not as good as any of these people. And I think that makes him much more relatable. That's a relatable struggle. So I enjoy that dynamic. Absolutely. I think that Adolin, as he grows, I'm not saying it would be terrible if Adolin became a Radiant, but I definitely think that there would need to be some other things that happen to Adolin before I wouldn't yeah. want him to become a radiant at the beginning of the next book. I agree. Like some some other things would have to to go on before he could become a radiant. His story right now is fantastic. I mean, I, I really yeah. love. We'll talk maybe about this at a later point, but I really love the development of his relationship with uh, Shalon as well, and how the love triangle yes. was dropped away. Yeah, and Shalon and Adolin. Sweet. Yeah, like I I, I just really like Adolin's character right now. I agree. What is your final top moment for this episode? All right, this one might get me because it got me bad, bad in the book. Oh, I wasn't ready for it. And it was telegraphed, or at least, you know, in the way that authors, good authors do, uh, where you go back and read it and you're like, this was all set up. Oh, obviously, I should have seen this coming. But there is the moment... During the Battle of Thalen City, we're jumping between all the different characters, Navani, Adolin, Dalinar, Kaladin, Lyft, and uh, Zeth, destroying evil together with Nightblood. We, and we're jumping back and forth all these characters, but we also have a subplot where the city of Urethiru is being attacked, and the other bridgemen are trying to defend it but without Kaladin nearby without any full radiant nearby they are all powerless so it doesn't look great uh for them and then this is where we return to one of those stories from earlier in the book like part one about one of the bridgemen that we've come to know Teft Teft again in Way of Kings, just one of a dozen bridgemen. You know, you may not even remember him from the Way of Kings specifically. Like, oh, this is what Teft did. You probably remember Moash and you probably remember Rock and everyone remembers the Lopin. But you may not recall Teft from that first book. He grows in Words of Radiance. We learn more about him there. But then we see a deep personal struggle that Teft has in the beginning of Oathbringer with a drug. It's called Fire Moss. We don't quite know what the effects are. It is smoked, and so I kind of lean towards, oh, it's like cannabis, marijuana, but it seems... Do we see it being smoked? I Usually they rub it between their fingers, and then the friction causes it to emit smoke which they inhale oh but that's I guess like that's the whole thing is he's like he has calluses on his fingers and he like did it so much that the calluses broke and his fingers are like bloody yeah so uh, i guess that's what i meant by smoked is that there is a smoked produced 
um, not necessarily with flame. But got it, got they, got there's it. smoke produced, and they inhale that. So I kind of thought like, oh, it's it's like marijuana, because also other people talked about using fire moss. Um, you know, in right, like the, somewhat recreationally. Yeah, so it kind of seemed like, uh, you know, in a similar way to wine or as it's portrayed. But I also, and I don't know, I you know haven't asked Brandon. You know, are right. there any direct parallels? But there also seems to be, at least from my perspective, effect that might be having going on in world that is more similar to opium. Yeah, and that's really. Obviously, in the United States, we've been having um, a large issue over the past couple of years with opium and opioid overdoses. Um, Utah, specifically, uh, had a large number uh, of opium overdoses. So it's in the news all the time. I wonder if that was impacting a story of addiction. But the way that Brandon portrays this early on about theft wanting to be a good squire, a good bridgeman, and kind of returning to his old ways, he sells his bridge four uniform. Fuck. (laughs) He sells his bridge four uniform so they can get a little bit more money uh, to buy fire moss. His friends, Kaladin specifically, find him in an alleyway uh, he's he's just he's low. I mean he's he's dealing with this addiction. He's dealing with you know we could probably say post traumatic stress disorder from his time and his experiences, and, and he's. I'm gonna cry so bad. <laughs> he's not having an easy time in the book, and this scene that we get at the end of the book is him becoming a full night's radiant on his own and we see a couple of times before that um a figure that appears to be an honor sprint kind of show up and he is kind of like running away from her and so at the end of the book she shows up again and is like hey it's time like you can't keep running away from this and so he as a squire of kaladin would have already said the first ideal but it takes the third ideal to become a full knight's radiant and to manifest the spren as a, a spren blade. And in order to get that third ideal, there has to be a promise, an oath given about protecting those that you hate or those that you dislike. Yeah, and I think this is the first time that we've seen that the oaths can be personal and individualized to the night radiant i like when i read this i was fully expecting him to say the exact same thing that kaladin said when he said this uh and so that was kind of a cool twist we also see it with the skybreakers and seth as well um described from nail that the oaths become more individualized as you get higher up so the fifth uh ideal um, again, there's there's similarities and there's some connection. Third ideal for Windrunners is about protecting those that you hate. But what destroyed me, what hit home and made this one of my favorite moments or at least just like one of the most emotional moments in the book is the ideal that Tef swears. I'm going to try to read it uh, without crying. 
I don't know if I will be able to, but uh, this is what Tef says to become a Knight's Radiant. He says, quote, I will protect those I hate, even, even if the one I hate most is myself, end quote. With addiction, and I, it's a theme in the book. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely explore that more. Um, but with, with addiction, I think that one of the hardest things, or even uh, with depression, which maybe more people mm. have dealt with uh, personally in your own life than necessarily addiction, but I think there's a similarity in that at a certain point, the anger or the pain is being like bounced back and forth inside yourself it it, oh. you, it might start with like i'm depressed because uh i lost my job or right. someone was mean to me or something but eventually, eventually it becomes that you yeah it affects your self-worth yeah and, and you begin to hate the fact that you know you can't get up you can't be happy you can't uh go out and hang out with your friends you can't be a bridgeman you can't be a nice do the things that you really want to do and yet there's you know a part of yourself that is getting in the way of you doing achieving that vision of the person you want to be as we again see with dalinar and elokar yeah and i think that teft admitting that he hates himself and making a commitment to protect himself anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that is it, like it's, such a big step forward. And there are there are other moments uh, that that deal with addiction too that hit me throughout the book. Um, that one was just like it was kind of uplifting at the same time that <laughs> it, was, it was incredibly emotional because he, he becomes a knight's radiant. So like that's good. There's another one. Can I can I sneak in another one? Well, do you want yeah, me to Yeah, you can. You can. Do you, you want can. me cuz I have like a, another one too. So, so there's uh, just another moment that goes hand in hand showing addiction from the other perspective from Dalinar's perspective, his addiction not with fire moss but with alcohol and this is post uh destruction of the city, the death of his wife when he's at his deepest point before he goes to the night watcher. Um, so it's at his deepest point and it, it eventually becomes the point when he starts to turn his life around and, and kind of set off on the new path that we eventually come and join Dalinar on. But this is his lowest moment. And again, I'm probably going to cry. Uh, trying to read, trying to read th through this, um, but it, it's powerful. And someone on Reddit made a comment of just like, I don't think Brandon came to this scene accidentally. It's too real. Mm. Now, is that Brandon's own personal experiences? Maybe. Uh, it could also be just brandon has friends and family and right, loved yeah. ones and people and he's a storyteller and a story reader so it's possible that he just picked this up but it does feel incredibly real and that's what made it hit so hard is just you know how many how many times throughout human history has this scene 
played out. We'll give you the quote. Do you want to help me with this one? Yeah. Um, can we can we act this out? Maybe if I, I get into an actor uh, mode, it <laughs> yeah. won't be as... Uh, Are you reading Dalinar? I am going to read Dalinar. Okay. And can you be uh, Renarin? Yeah. And I will do the, uh, the kind of mm-hmm. in-between as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Quote, a hand fell on his shoulder. Father? Adolin, so help me. Still kneeling, Dalinar turned, then cut off. It wasn't Adolin, but the other one. Renarin had returned, timid as always, his spectacled eyes wide and his hands trembling. He held something out, a small bottle. I... Renarin swallowed. I got you one, with the stairs the king gave me, because you always go through what you buy so quickly. End quote. <laughs> I can't even do the end quote. <laughs> <laughs> You have this little boy who his father literally hates. He hates Renarin. I mean, I don't know if that's true. He, he hates just, He hates they, what Renarin does to him because Renarin... They don't have any relationship. Like, they don't understand each, each other and they haven't spent very much time together. Well, and Renarin very clearly reminds him directly of Evie, his wife. Yeah. Um, specifically because of his name. They go through... And I think this is important to the Cosmere as well, but they go over how Adolin was named by Dalinar and Renarin was named by Evie because Dalinar was away at war when Renarin was born. And Dalinar, when he hears Renarin's name, literally says, like, what a stupid name. Like, yeah, that's Yeah, he's that's like, what awful. the fuck? Exactly. What did you do? And because of... Like you said, they don't have as much in common. They haven't spent time together. But because Renarin is the direct link back to Evie, it's Dalinar's... Again, hate hate was too strong. He doesn't necessarily hate his son. Because what happens in that moment is that Renarin gives his father a bottle of alcohol and then Dalinar rejects it and instead hugs Renarin and makes the decision in that moment to set his life to on a new path. To do something different. Yeah, it's yeah. like his wake-up call. So Taft I think has it, Dalinar this, um, has it. It kind of mirrors this scene in Way of Kings as well when Syl brings the Blackbane leaves to Kaladin in this like heartfelt gesture you know, to someone that she cares about but doesn't quite understand of, like, I want to help and doesn't realize that she's actually given him, like, the last thing he really needs. And yet that gesture of just blind compassion is the impetus towards change. I think that's much better said than my weeping through. It's okay. <laughs> you, are, you are emotionally charged. Um, I'm going to add my own little mini moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, I loved Navani and Dalinar's wedding. Yes. Uh, and it happened like so quickly, like you were saying about Kaladin's, mm-hmm. um, seeing his family, like we're able to get these really emotional moments early on in the book because we've sort of put in our time in the last two books. Um, but I just really enjoyed that these two people who very clearly, love each other and have their flaws. And I love that, uh, you know, the storm father presides over it. Yes. (laughs) So cool. Um, 
And I love the part when he's like, how, like, how am I supposed to accept your oaths? You've broken oaths before. And Navani's just like, yeah, but I'm not going to break this one. Like, he is mine. I'm his. Period. And the Stormfather's like, good enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like simple and to the point and heartfelt. Yeah. I mean, let's kind of round this off uh, with maybe a little bit of happier things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just, let's just go through some favorite quotes not necessarily directly tied to a specific moment, but just like fun stuff that happened in the book. Uh, And then we'll sign off for this week. Sure. Sounds good. Let me see. One of my favorites is, quote, the trick to happiness wasn't in freezing every momentary pleasure and clinging to each one, but in ensuring one's life would produce many future moments to anticipate, end quote. What did you like about that one? Just tell me a little bit. I just thought, I don't know, it just felt so wise to me. And I think, uh, especially, you know, we hear all the time in our modern world with technology and social media, we're like constantly chasing the things that we think are going to make us happy right now. Um, And, you know, in this quote, it is really showing that you, you have to go through times when you're maybe not super happy, but you're setting yourself up for more sustainable, like, future happiness. And on that note of, like, future sustainable happiness, uh, we have a what I think is a nice insight into relationships. Mm. Do you want to read this one yeah. together? I'll just, I'll start as Adolin. Yeah, perfect. Quote, I'm not good with relationships, Shalon. Is there anyone who actually is? I mean, is there really someone out there who looks at relationships and thinks, you know what? I've got this. Personally, I think we're all collectively idiots about it. End quote. I really love that. I mean, (laughs) we are all collectively idiots when it comes to relationships. So true. How many times? But I think we all feel like Adolin, right? Of like, dang, I suck at this. I'm the only one who's bad at this. (laughs) Everyone else has it figured out. Yeah. No, everybody's an idiot. We're all just dumb. (laughs) We're so bad. But we try. We're so hard. And that's (laughs) all that we've got, right? Is like, we're, we're not great at everything, but we try. And I think that that not just in this book, but, you know, that is one of the kind of human characteristics in so many stories. I mean, how many times is there in the boxing movie, the boxer, Rocky, gets knocked down, but he's always going to get back up. He's not the best. He's not the biggest. He's not the strong. He always gets back yeah, up. Like, but that's the point the is that you keep trying and you keep trying to be better. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, this next A one. Fantastic. Floyd, and I love it. So much. <laughs> uh, to set this scene, he's brought Shalon into an innkeeper's uh, place, and the innkeeper and him have a previous relationship where Hoyt is pretending to be kind of like a bard or something in the city. Uh, and when Hoyt arrives into uh, the the inn, he directs this quote at the innkeeper. Quote, I've had enough of your oppression, tyrant. Secure your wine well this evening, for the revolution will be swift, vengeful, and intoxicated. End quote. I believe that all revolutions should be swift, Swift, vengeful, vengeful, and and intoxicated. intoxicated. And let's be honest, all revolutions have been that. (laughs) You don't get revolutions without those things. I think that there's so much 
that we could talk about from the appearance of Kremlings in so oh, many different man. spots. Did you guys highlight all the Kremlings? Because I did. <laughs> <laughs> Probably missed a couple, but there were a lot. A lot. Uh, and just, do you want to remind people why Kremlings are significant to the Rishar? Yeah, um, especially if you haven't read Edge Dancer yet, go do that. But there is a race of Amians, I believe the Dicean Amians, who are beings made up of a horde of Kremlings. Um, and I actually think they call them Hordlings is the more uh, correct name for them, but they look exactly like Kremlings and they like form these people, but then they can also uh, break apart yeah. and I think go anywhere. Yeah. So now whenever I see a Kremling anywhere, especially if it's uh, particularly pointed out, which happens quite a few times in Oathbringer, I think they are most likely parts of Dicey and Amians, like as little espionage agents. Yeah. And I think we can explore later in a later episode, the maybe role of the Amians or what they're doing. Why are they uh, using kind of espionage, spying on everything? What's their plan? Their Amians role? like that. That's one of my biggest pet interests in the Cosmere. We could talk about everything. I mean, we could, we could talk about how Renarin bonded a corrupted spren oh man and i know is you know part part what on the dark side happen? like we don't we don't know how that's gonna work out um the music and rhythm theory yeah man huge shout out to that reddit user you got it dude you were on the money and we talked about that theory uh that was presented by reddit user sildaris on our episode seven if you want to get more in-depth about that, in a future episode, we'll be really diving into how music and rhythm... Yeah, now that it looks like it's pretty well-established in the books um, by Brandon and not just fan theory, we can really get into it. Absolutely. There's a bunch of stuff that is said in the Ars Arcanum of oh, Oathbringer yeah. that we could talk, like we could do half an episode just on that. True. But I think that the plan for us right now is to have this episode, top five moments, you know, hopefully everybody enjoyed this and hopefully it just leaves you wanting more discussion about Oathbringer because we got more to talk about. There is so much more. We are going to take a break, uh, though. We are going to give ourselves uh, some some holiday time off, um, and not even much. We're gonna we're gonna take a single yeah, like week off. A week. <laughs> yeah. So this episode will be published on the twelfth of December. We're gonna take one week off, give us time to really lay out and plan exactly how we're going to attack Oathbringer. We're thinking probably a minimum of two or three episodes. Oh, minimum. <laughs> minimum. Uh, and that the first one of that series, just diving deep into Oathbringer, will be a little Christmas gift to everyone. We'll drop that on the 26th. Merry Christmas! So we are going to... Take a week off. We hope that everybody uh, is 
having a good end of the year and celebrating yeah. Earthbringer. You Happy know. Hanukkah, everyone. That's next week. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for calling out all those people and everyone yeah. around the world, you know, winter solstice, Kwanzaa, whatever you got going on this time of the year. Tis the season to celebrate all the things. And you could celebrate by introducing someone, family member, friend to the Cosmere. Christmas is a great time for that. I know from experience. And the after those couple of episodes that we explore Oathbringer with research and quotes and kind of bring in all the details that we possibly can and how it connects to the larger Cosmere, we want to do a fan theory episode. Basically kind of like joining this conversation. What are your top five favorite moments? What's your favorite quote? You know, did you connect with a character maybe like Tef or Rock or or Shalon that you hadn't previously but something in this book uh really jumped out like we we want to know how you're feeling as well yeah tell us all your things and thank you to everyone who has already reached out um I posted on Facebook last week and got almost an immediate response from a bunch of people jumping in joining the conversation and I was really really happy so um definitely anyone out there listening please join us uh join our conversation either reddit facebook twitter uh we're on all the places as cosmere combo join in until next time life before death strength before weakness journey before destination (laughs) 